entering the Freedom Hut. Tomorrow's Muller Day here in the swamp. People are gathering together to hear what will probably be some pretty boring testimony about stuff they already know, but there could be some bombshells we will assess together here in the Freedom Hunt. Also, the fight between Trump and the squad continues on. What does this tell us about the direction of the general election for President Trump in 2020? And also, a transgender individual who is insisting that women provide a service that they only provide to women. This is a crazy story. We'll get to that and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small step. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now... Do you believe President Trump is a racist? I believe he is, he, yes, no doubt about it. These are folks and women who, who love their country. And they work very hard and they want to move us towards that more perfect union. Uh, that our founding fathers talked about. Tragically, the president has decided that racism is good politics. Racism is a good political strategy. There's a reason why he keeps returning to attacking these women of color and the rhetoric that he uses. Are you accusing the president of being a racist? I'm, I'm accusing him of being worse than that. Uh, he is somebody that is using race like a weapon to divide our country against itself. Worse than a racist, Cory Booker says. Infinity plus one, Cory Booker goes with. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. I see that my travels through Latin America with the Secretary of State over the last few days have not uh, allowed the furor from the left over Trump's comments. Oh, it's so racist. Trump's comments to uh, die down a little bit. We know that the leftists seem to have a propensity for calling people racists. Uh, We know that this has been a weapon that they have deployed far too often and far too cynically for many years. And so I'm at the point where regardless of what you think about whether Trump's comments about the uh, the squad, as they are called, uh, Tlaib, Omar, uh, AOC and who am I? Oh, Presley. There we go. She's she's the really the, 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 the fourth. The fourth member of the squad, she's she's the one in the band who, if she were to not show up one day, they would probably be able to find somebody else to play that instrument. But nonetheless, the other three are certainly getting a lot of attention these days. They're in this fight with Trump. And here's what I take from it all. One is that the Democrats never tire of calling Trump a racist. And anyone who uh, supports President Trump knows that it doesn't matter what he has said or will say going forward. They will always call him a racist. And. This is just the way that they will approach the election. This is what they've been doing for the whole time. Nothing here is going to change. But it does also show us, I think, that the president of the United States understands that he cannot ever back down or bow down to these accusations. It really doesn't matter what he says. It, it doesn't matter what he could say, something that even the president would admit, oh, I've I, I stumbled, I misspoke. That's not what I meant or that, that clearly could be taken away that I did not intend, which could happen to any of us. 
The moment the president says, OK, I'm sorry, I made a mistake, then they just go and finish finish him off politically. They make sure he'll never win another election. They'll that'll be all that it, all that they talk about. So I'm not surprised for some of the conservatives out there who have been upset. And I know plenty of them, at least in the media, upset at the president for the recent comments. I just say, can we focus on the country? Can we focus on the more important things that are happening around America right now? Can we focus on the border where I am upset with the lack of action on the on the uh, from the administration perspective? Got some new numbers in today. Thirty five arrested in the immigrations and customs enforcement raids that were much touted in the last week or so. Thirty five people, folks. You got over 330,000 Central Americans have come into the country claiming, quote, asylum. They're not asylum seekers. They are they are immigrants who are skipping the line illegally. That is what they're doing. But 35 got uh, picked up by ICE. So there's that. I have to say that I am disappointed right now with the situation of the border. But first, let me just dispense with all this uh, all this focus on racism. Right. The racism of the president. One is I've I've known this was going to happen for a long time. The same way that climate change has become a posture completely bereft of any intellectual substance whatsoever. You just say that you believe in climate change because by establishing that belief, you are telling all the people around you what a good person you are, how wonderful you are, how fantastic you are. It, it, It has nothing to do with the science. You say, I believe in climate change. And the left pats you on the head. That's that's what they've been doing. They've expanded the term beyond meaning for political purposes. Well, I'll also tell you that the term white supremacy has intentionally been expanded beyond all meaning by the left because they want to just use it as a catch all weapon against their ideological opponents. This has been happening for quite some time. You have AOC running around saying that the president of the United States is, in fact, stoking white supremacy and neo-Nazi groups. Play clip four. He is stoking white supremacy and he is allowing, frankly, neo-Nazi groups to go off unchecked because that is a key part of rousing his base. But we cannot allow and give into that. This is such a a slander from AOC, whom increasingly, I have to say, she's just someone who doesn't do the work. And what I mean by that is she's not a person with whom I disagree, but I could at least say she's informed. She understands her argument. She is a walking, talking, emotional blackmail and talking points machine. That is what she is. She spews all of this claptrap about socialism, doesn't understand the microeconomics. Forget about macroeconomics, because that can't really tell you very much most of the time. The microeconomic theory behind why socialism isn't just flawed in practice. It is flawed in theory. It doesn't work well and it's wrong. And even if you could implement it the way you think you could, it wouldn't be a good idea. She doesn't understand the philosophy. She doesn't understand the theory. She doesn't even know how companies or businesses or commerce really works. But she's lecturing the whole country about this all the time. And the way that she does it is from the perspective of the victim. 
That's why it's so important for her and for the rest of the squad and for the rest of the Democratic Party to use race as often as they can because they feel both protected and able to go on offense all the time. How could you question AOC talking about Trump on white supremacy? You must be a white supremacist too. These are the disgraceful games that they play. Uh, and, and the end results are, are particularly distressing. Uh, I have to tell you, <laughs> the, you know, you had these NYPD officers, these NYPD officers who were trying to effect an arrest in New York City. And I, I was a civilian analyst assigned to the intelligence division, so I never, I never had a badge, uh, a badge and a gun in the NYPD. I helped them track down the terrorist cells, essentially, that were operating in New York City and understand them. But I have a particular affinity for the men and women of the NYPD because I worked with them and because I saw what they do day in and day out. But the comments and the smears of people like AOC have consequences in real life. Calling everybody a white supremacist, saying that if you support President Trump, you must be racist, too. There's so much racism all over the country, so much that they have to manufacture it often in the media. Talk about fake racial incidents. You know, Jussie Smollett and Erica Thomas down in Georgia and so many others, you know, all these people on campus that find racist graffiti on their wall or find a, a noose hanging from a tree somewhere. Turns out that the individual reporting, it put it there. We have so much racism, so much nasty, vicious racism in this country that there's hoax after hoax after hoax going on. What is that all about? This is really ultimately about power and about trying to transfer power from those on the right to those on the Democrat and identity politics obsessed left. They want to force us all to submit to their incredibly stupid ideas. If there's one if there's one major overarching theme that I want to get into today, it's how dumb the Democrat ideas really are. I do believe that they have convinced themselves that Donald Trump is a horrible racist. But I also think that they have an intellectual insecurity, at least the ones who are smart enough to understand the real implications of their ideas. They have an intellectual insecurity because they are taking positions that normal, sane, rational people with basic knowledge about how the world functions could not support in good conscience. Position after position. Uh, Rashida Tlaib, $20 minimum wage. We'll get to that pretty soon. AOC, the Green New Deal. Abolish ICE. Lots of Democrat members of Congress say we should do that. So just get rid of, just create an open border. Bernie Sanders saying all college should be free. It'll all be paid for, all trade school, everything. These are completely unworkable, absurd, obtuse positions that have been mainstreamed by the Democratic Party. I mean, they have taken the, they have taken the, the road to crazy town and they are letting it loose. They're having way too much fun being nuts. But their rhetoric has consequences. Their ideas are clearly horrible, and we'll talk more about that in this hour. But the things that they say about white supremacy and all the rest, you know, you have and the police, even when they're minorities, I would note, according to leftist theory, which I have to spend a lot of time reading about and learning about, according to leftists, the police themselves are instruments of white supremacy, even when they are not white. And so anti-police feeling is always very strong among those on the left, especially local police, those who enforce 
laws that tend to be more morality-based and more civil order-based instead of a lot of the federal-level stuff, which is it's illegal because the government says so. But some NYPD officers are trying to effect an arrest, and people were dumping. This is in my hometown where I'm moving back in a few weeks. People were dumping water on them and laughing. Play 16. Oh! 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 No, they're not. No, they're falling it up! Oh, they're not stopping! Oh, my God! Y'all get back in your car! Black! Black! Oh, oh my God. They laughing at them! <laughs> Abolish ICE, Black Lives Matter. You look at these different chants, these groups, all coming from the left, and the disrespect, in fact, the demonization that they engage in of law enforcement has consequences. People like AOC saying that concentration camps are operating at our southern border and therefore those in charge of the camps are the equivalent of the SS, that has consequences. And they are willing to tear down what is around them on the left if they can't be in control of it. Something you have to remember. And their ideas are stupid. They may The best thing you could say for them is that they're well-intentioned, but well-intentioned means nothing. The path to hell is paved with good intentions, as I'm sure you've heard. So they talk about racism all the time to get us off balance, to silence us, to make us feel like we can't support this president, despite the excellent job that President Trump is doing as president. That's the initial, that's the covering fire, if you will. That's to keep our heads down. And then they try to run up the middle in a full-on assault with the dumbest, craziest ideas you could ever think of at a national government level. Things like the Green New Deal or a $20. Why not a million-dollar minimum wage? Let's take apart some of the stupidity, shall we? There's nothing that we can do to get them to stop calling Trump racist. The president knows that he cannot and should not apologize for anything. Because it will get him nowhere, and they don't want an apology. They want his destruction. We'll get into that and more coming up. Stay with me. The Democrats, I guess, are forced to embrace her, and I call it AOC plus three. Okay, AOC. AOC plus three. Not that AOC is a bargain, because she's not. I mean, she's no bargain. Look, I mean, I, well, we'll, we'll go into it at some point. I'll tell you all about AOC. I got more on AOC. Trump knows that making this group of four congresswomen the most known and visible group in the entire Democratic Party can only help in 2020 because the far left is now at the helm. They're now in control of the Democratic Party. And the American people need to know that. Why do we think there's been this this clinging to Biden that has been going on. Biden is deeply unimpressive and everybody really knows it. But Biden has the the outward trappings and resume and of, of the the somewhat centrist, moderate Democrat, you know, some, somebody who's was tied to the Obama administration, who understands how D.C. works, been around a long time. Why not allow the Democratic Party to put forward one of the ideological vanguards, somebody that is pushing for the ideas that motivate Democrats to go vote, motivate them to go to the polls? Because if they did that, they would get destroyed. They know this. The three or four percent of the American voting population, at least until amnesty goes through and destroys the Republican Party, but 
conversation for another day. The three or four percent who are up for grabs, whose votes can still be won by one side or the other, they don't really want to hear about the trials and tribulations of transgender individuals who insist on female uh, appointments being kept for them that involve a very specific grooming. I We will talk about that later in the show because it is going on in Canada right now. And people need to know that the, the left still defends this stuff. There is no level of insanity around tran- what are called transgender rights now, which is just whatever a transgender individual says they are. Uh, there is no level of insanity the left will not defend. We'll, we'll get there. Oh, and also Al Franken. They're trying to rehabilitate him. We'll get to that as well. I thought Al Franken was, was going to be out of the game now, but guess what? He wants to come back. We'll talk about what's going on there. Man, do they hate this president. And and they really do plan to do everything they can to make it socially unacceptable to vote for him. That's a huge part of this whole effort from the squad. You say you you tell anyone that you're voting for Trump, they can call you a racist. And a vast majority, you can pretty much count on any Democrat who would overhear that. Say, yeah, that's right. That's racist. What does that mean for all of the Latino and black and Asian and other Americans who vote for Trump, by the way? I I think this somehow never gets factored into conversation. Did they are they they've been brainwashed somehow? Oh, we could take the the quote from Ayanna Presley that she does not want, quote, what was it? I I think I remembered exactly, but quote, uh, uh, brown faces that do not want to speak for with with or for brown voices or. Be a voice for brown. That your skin color should determine your ideology. The left is open about that now. They will say that. Which to me is just definitionally racism. I mean, that that is racism. Your your skin color is X. You should think Y. That's racist. Or you must think you if you do not think that you somehow lose your racial authenticity. The left clings to this stuff, still believes this stuff. In fact, more so now than ever, I believe. Because Trump has broken them. I mean, I do worry about the emotional and psychological stability of most lib journos if Trump wins re-election. Uh, but the spasms of lunacy currently gripping the Democratic Party with calling everyone a racist who supports Trump, calling Trump a racist a thousand times a day, having all these different news channels getting in on this, it's because the party does not have good ideas. We will transition to that in a moment. So recently I introduced the Boost Act. This legislation completely repeals the GOP tax scam that is only helping wealthy individuals, the rich, the corporations. And do you know what I did with that money? Do you know what I said? Mm -mm. We're going to go ahead and put it into the uh, pockets of folks like everyday Americans. If you make less than $100,000, you're going to get up to $6,000 in your pocket. And if you make less than $50,000, you're going to get $3,000. That's what we do with our public dollars. We give it back to the people, the people that earned it. Dollars are not public, Congresswoman Tlaib. They belong to individuals. The state doesn't have any money. It only has our money. But what she was doing there, and that was at the uh, 2019 NAACP convention. One of the squad, one of the four, is in very clear and explicit terms uh, telling us all that, that socialism is the order of the day for the Democratic Party. That socialism is really what the Democratic Party is all about. 
I wish they would just adopt the name and be honest about that now. Those who say, oh, we're not socialists. You know, they play all these definitional games. You, they would say, oh, we're, we're, the Democratic Party's not so. Social Security doesn't make us socialists. Well, Social Security in some ways is, in fact, a socialist program within the government. And there are others. There can be an entirely socialist economy or there can just be socialist sectors like healthcare, for example, a very large sector. But it can't be a defense. The left, the Democrats in this country can't defend themselves against allegations of socialism by saying, we're not the Soviet Union, so we're not socialists. Okay, you aspire to be, according to Bernie Sanders and many other Democrats, similar to the Nordic countries, Scandinavian countries that are democratic socialist states, although not really nearly as socialist as many Democrats in this country want to believe. So which is it? Are they trying to drag us toward democratic socialism, a form of socialism, or is any charge of socialism going to be shouted down as racist, a lie? Speaking of lies, Tlaib lied there. Do you think that any mainstream media reporter that asks her this question is going to or rather, that, that overheard that is going to ask her, why do you say that only the rich got help by, the, by a tax cut? It's a lie. 80% of taxpayers, period, had more money as a result of the Trump tax cuts. 80% plus. So that's a whole lot more than just rich people. Because 80% of people paying taxes, and I'm one of them, can tell you, I'm not rich. And a little extra money in the bank really does help. And the government is spending too much of our money they are creating a systemic burden a risk that can collapse ask anybody who understands complicated financial systems or just somebody who reads the history of fiat currency aoc's top advisor right now for economics is an, is an inherent of modern monetary theory this is very straightforward folks it's just Print whatever you got to print to give people whatever you got to give them money-wise. This is a recipe for destroying the American economy, destroying our way of life, and turning this place over a period of time and not that long. If you really did that, you turn yourself into a much bigger version of Venezuela very quickly. It would not take all that long uh, because the problem is that once inflation sets in, very hard to control all monitor modern monetary theory says is just keep inflating until it gets a little bit too scary and then figure out how to stop the inflation this is the equivalent and this is aoc's top advisor bernie sanders people are adherents of this there are a lot of people on the left now who and and the ones who aren't modern monetary theory devotees essentially agree with the idea spend whatever you got to spend on whatever programs you want to spend them on but this would be like saying, yeah, end inflation once it starts going. Just target it really carefully. This would be me saying, you know, play with a lit match around the drapes of your house. Just when they catch fire, like, just put it out right away. Okay, yeah, but what if I can't? And what if the whole house catches on fire? That's what modern monetary theory with, inf with the inflation that it can very quickly create risks for all of us. And the fastest way to destroy a country short of a nuclear war or a pestilence that, you know, takes out half of us. Either one of those things are possible, but very unlikely. The fastest, the only real way that America falls is either from a complete political dissolution, meaning our own polity comes apart, which 
given the open borders attitude of the left, that's increasingly a problem. We don't we don't agree on things anymore. Even the Constitution folks can't protect us if a solid majority of the of the uh, individuals living in this country don't believe in all this Constitution founding fathers America stuff. You can go back and read about the the rise and fall, really just the fall. <laughs> the rise and fall would be Gibbon, which is a very long history. But you can read Adrian Goldsworthy about the fall of Rome. And one of the, there are a lot of things, a massive, unaccountable, highly expensive bureaucracy. That was one major problem with the ancient Roman Empire. Another was just the constant inflow of what were then called, and you know, I'm not saying this is what we're dealing with now, what were then called barbarians which actually came from the ancient Greek barbar, which was a reference to the way that people who weren't Greeks spoke because their language is essentially like gibberish speakers. Oddly enough, in ancient Rome, there were parts of Greece that would later be referred to as barbarian, but you had these inflows of different groups that were not that did not feel Roman, but they came inside the boundaries of the Roman Empire, and then they had to be, they had to be ministered to by the central government and they were never truly on board, and you had what we would call today secession movements. They would call them uprisings or revolts, and it just, over time, dissolved because people did not feel Roman. That's one way. Another way, and probably a much faster way, is just completely destroy the currency of a country. Just, just annihilate that currency and see what ends up happening. It creates a panic. And that's what Democrats are willing to risk so that what we can have free college. Here's here's a thought, folks. Too many people are going to four year colleges. Colleges are too expensive. Universities and colleges have become far too powerful, not as institutions of higher learning, but as gatekeepers into elite society. Enough is enough. We need to rethink this whole process, not double and triple down on the expenses of it all. But the Democrats are just there running around wanting to spend the public treasury like drunken sailors. No offense to the sailors who are listening, but sometimes you guys like to party. Spending too much money. You know, Rashida Tlaib is saying that they're just going to take money from you and give it to other people. Oh, and also universal basic income. I have to tell you, I, I heard a, I, I just want to deal with this because I haven't talked about it yet on the show. I heard a, a fantastic uh, and I rarely will promote someone else's podcast here unless they're a guest on the show. But he doesn't care because he's, I think, got the biggest podcast in the world. So, you know, occasionally I will listen to Joe Rogan stuff. And I saw Rogan talking to Naval Ravikant. Some of you may know who he is. Naval is the uh, founder of AngelList. So he's a Silicon Valley venture capitalist. Very, very smart guy. Like me, grew up in New York City and, and has an interesting has an interesting backstory. Uh, I would say it's well worth watching the I will recommend that you watch the entire or listen to the entire Rogan Ravikant interview. Uh, some of the guys that Rogan has on, I, I just I have no interest in hearing what they have to say. Ravikant was really insightful and he spoke about uh, universal basic income and he he nailed it. I mean, what I've been trying to say and and is some of this is, I think, quite clear. And this is going to tie into our minimum wage. Just we're about to get a minimum wage, folks. Don't worry. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But because Democrats are crazy on that, too. I mean, they're just they have just it's unfettered left wing lunacy now all over the place. 
and they're just trying to keep us off balance with racism, racism, racism. Meanwhile, yeah, let's destroy the entire U.S. economy with our ideas. And you might say, Buck, they'll never they'll never win. They'll never be empowered to do this. Yeah. Remember what happened in 2008? You don't think that could happen again? Uh, but Ravikant, back to this interview with Ravikant and, and Joe Rogan, uh, Naval is the guy's name. He was talking about universal basic income. He says, uh, for one, the moment that you just have money, it ha- the, making it not means tested is just on its face insane, right? Because you're, you're giving $1,000 to a billionaire just because you're giving $1,000 a month to everybody makes no sense in any world. Okay, so start with that. If it's not means tested, that's absurd. And then the moment it's not means tested, you're really dealing with what is essentially it might be very widespread, but essentially a welfare program. So then the politics behind that change. But if you create a broad enough uh, direct deposit program for everybody through universal basic income, you may find yourself in a position where or you will will soon find yourself in a position where 51 percent of the people who vote just want more money for themselves. Every time someone says, well, um, it's not going to be a thousand dollars a month for universal basic income. It's going to be two thousand a month. It's just this constant invitation to use the politics of the mob to override market forces, to override what the economy will bear, and just say, or you know, what the market will bear rather, and what our economy can sustain. And and that temptation is obvious to anyone, and it is in a in a sense a precursor to where we are in this minimum wage debate. Uh, right now, which there's some amazing stuff about Bernie Sanders. And then the last part of it is is universal basic income cannot, which Andrew Yang, at least he's got ideas. I think his ideas are generally bad and or wrong, but at least they're real ideas. And some of them are kind of new ish. But you need to give somebody more than just a check. People need purpose. And this is this is a mantra of mine uh, has been for a very long time. Everyone needs purpose. Why do you get up in the morning? Why do you do what you do? Is it to do a great job at work? Is it to be a fantastic neighbor and, and mother or father or take care of your family? Is it to just ha- work on your relationship with God? And, you know, whatever. But everyone needs purpose. And in the world of employment, when we're talking about, you know, money and economics, people need purpose in their day-to-day lives that does not come from just getting a check. So that's what I feel about universal basic income. I, I do want to get more into it. Look, it's just, there's crazy all over the place, the Democrats these days. And, and I think that they're not going to be able to move away from this stuff. They're not going to be able to move away from raising their hands and saying they all want to give health care to illegal aliens. They're not going to be able to move away from uh, claiming that they all want to give, uh, that they all want Medicare for all, except for Kamala Harris, who's trying to play both sides and hope the media covers for her. So again, we're 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 going for a a joyride into the into the bowels. I guess you can't joyride inside the bowels, right? But we're kind of, that was kind of unless you're really small. But we we are going for a cruise here through the left wing crazy like single payer. Let's talk about single payer. Stay with me. And all of this done without a middle class tax hike. Without a middle class tax, yes. Thirty trillion over ten years. There are ways to pay for it. Also, understanding the investment that we are going to be making in a way that is going to reap great benefits in terms of other costs. 
when people question that there is no formula for this, that you are going to find money in magical ways is not realistic thinking. How do you respond to that? The status quo is not enough. That's not an answer, Kamala Harris. $30 trillion, folks, for single payer over 10 years. $3 trillion a year. It's basically doubling. It's effectively doubling government expenditures every year for single payer. And she's claiming that we can do this without raising taxes to the middle class. That's just a lie or she's not very smart. There are, there's no third option. You know how the media is always lectures. Oh, Trump lied and Trump got two scoops of ice cream and everyone else got one. And he's so terrible. Where is the where are the, the guardians of truth in this one? Where are the democracy dies in darkness, folks? Where's the how many Pinocchios we going to give Kamala Harris here? Thirty trillion dollars. Over the course of 10 years, you're not going to raise taxes on on the middle class. You're just going to find the money elsewhere. There are only oh, I'm sorry. Pardon me. There is a third option here. There is a third option, and it's the scariest one. The first option is she's just not very smart and doesn't understand the mathematics of this, which I don't. To be fair, I don't believe that that's true. I think that Kamala Harris is bright. Uh, you know, I, I don't think she's a genius, but I think she's a she's a bright person. Let's let's always be fair about every individual politician and it seems like where where they are in terms of their intellectual gifts and cognitive ability kamala harris strikes me as bright i I don't know her but okay so that means that i think she she could just be lying to this person because it's convenient now that i totally believe right and that's the likeliest she's too smart to know that 30 trillion dollars is just going to come from wherever so she's just saying this because she'll get through the interview and that it it lets the the crazy left hear what they want to hear okay that's one I, there is that third option. We're just going to inflate it. We're just going to print the money to pay for this. Which will destroy the savings that you have in your bank account right now, which will annihilate your wages. I mean, the people that really get hurt in an inflation are the people who are working for wages for a living, who are close to, you know, economic pain all the time who do not have financial stability they're they're the ones that just get wiped out those who own real estate and and gold and uh you know assets real hard assets they're in much better shape i mean they maybe realize the mad max scene that's going on in the streets around them and we all live in this we all have to live in the same country if we're going to be in the same country but they can do uh, they're better off to be sure but kamala here is trying to tell you that that they're just going to find the money somewhere if their plan is to just print. And, and I think that there's enough there's enough lunacy on the left that this is look at what Obama, look at how much money Obama spent over his eight years. And then look at every president before him combined. If you look at a chart of federal spending, you cannot look me in the eye and say we aren't on the precipice of a huge disaster here. And I know Trump hasn't cut this off, has not turned this around. You know what the problem is, folks? You can't have the power to do anything in this country anymore unless you're just going to spend and spend and spend. Trump realizes that. No one wants to be the one that says that Santa Claus isn't coming this year. No one wants. And if you are that person, you get pushed out. And then the total lunatics of the left, the Democrat crazies, they say, oh, yeah, Santa will be here. And then they get to do all the other stuff that comes with getting the votes for saying Santa's going to be here. I got more. We haven't talked about minimum wage yet. That's got to come up. Home ownership. 
is at its lowest rate in 51 years. Thank you very much. Thank you. I will say the Bernie Sanders people had far more energy and spirit. I will say. You guys are crazy! You're an animal! Get a job! So Rashida Tlaib was, back in 2016, this video has gotten a lot of play, completely out of her mind, had to be physically dragged from a Trump event, screaming stuff. Now she's a member of Congress who has the entire media in her back pocket, except for conservative media. That's only about 10% of the media. That's who's running the show now, folks. People that get dragged out of events screaming like lunatics. That's who wants to be in charge of the economy. The individual, you know, there's so much that they say about Trump all the time. Trump has run companies. Trump has run businesses. And you could say, oh, Buckley, he didn't run them so well, whatever. Yeah, the guy's worth billions of dollars. I know he inherited a lot of money, but he's run companies, okay? There are Trump buildings all over New York. There are Trump buildings all over D.C., all over the world. He's doing something right. So we can all dispense with this, oh, but he's not so, you know, he's not as good at business as he says he is, whatever. I mean, he's good enough. He's better at business than Rashida Tlaib and Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Because he's had to operate in that real world where facts matter, where numbers matter, where it's not enough to just wish that things would be a certain way, but they have to be that way. But that when I talk about the, the psychosis and the craziness of the left, and, and I, I worry, my friends, because I do believe, and I also would, will refer back to the uh, Naval Ravikant, Joe Rogan conversation, because I agree with so much of what was said, and I think I do say a lot of it here. The radicalization of the left is being assisted. There's an echo chamber effect that has turned from just the, the, the left-wing sphere, just bouncing around, everyone hearing what they want to hear, watching Maddow talk crazy Russia stuff, just following the people they want on Twitter and just seeing the news they want on Facebook. Hollywood reflecting back all their left-wing prejudices all the time. It's gone from just that's created closed-minded, a closed-minded left, to I believe it has created a truly radical left that is ascendant. There's a left wing in this country right now that has been brainwashed. And not just brainwashed on a couple of issues, brainwashed on the most important issues that hold our country together, that create the rule of law and the prosperity that we all care so dearly for. And I think that Rashida Tlaib, among others, is representative of that radicalization. And I think Trump also understands that that's what's going on now. Now, has Trump also been a, a part of this just by existing? I think, yes. I think that he's broken a lot of people psychologically, which makes them more. How do you brainwash people? Often, now I can get into the, the, the jihadist pipeline of how they would take people from you know disaffected youth to suicide bomber, right? One of the things you'll do is you'll, you'll you have, if you have found someone who has not already been broken, you break them down psychologically. And then you build them back up in a certain way. You tell them that they're cowards for not fighting for the cause. And you say, ah, but I will give you, I will give you the pathway to retain your, your manhood and become a, a shaheed, become a martyr and, you know, suicide bombings and all the rest of it. 
I think that people have been broken on the on the left. They've been broken by Trump. And now you have this constant digital media apparatus that seeks to put them back together only through the most extreme distilled version of Democrat left wing socialist nonsense in America. You have people now that believe crazier stuff than at any point in my lifetime, and a a lot of them, and they're getting elected to office. Look at the Democratic Party under Obama. Look at the Democratic Party under Clinton. Go, you know, you go, go back in time. You can see the progression for yourselves. Things are getting wackier and therefore more dangerous and more destabilizing for the country. They think Trump is undermining institutions. You have an entire movement within one of two major political parties right now to undermine capitalism. Capitalism is defective. AOC says it. Bernie Sanders says it. Elizabeth Warren says it. And I can assure you, if Cory Booker and Kamala Harris and, you know, name another Democrat who's a little more establishment leaning, if they thought that it meant that they would win the election, they'd be all on board, too. They're just not sure yet. They're not sure. They're trying to they're, they're sitting on the fence, really. But here's just a let's take one issue, all right, the minimum wage. Minimum wage is, it's, you, you can't make this go away. You, you can't make people understand that, that it does, ex- once you know the mechanisms of a minimum wage law, then you understand it does not serve the purpose that it is supposed to serve. Uh, then you recognize that it does give some people more money, but overwhelmingly those who get more money for minimum wage are not low-income workers. They're usually people who already have a job and they often live in a household where somebody else has a job and their overall combined income is pretty, pretty uh, close to, if not middle class. Those who really suffer from minimum wage laws are people who now can't get jobs because there are fewer of them or whose hours are cut back. And that then, well, let's just first, uh, we have Rashida Tlaib here who I really do believe is an economic illiterate, but there are plenty of leftists who are economic illiterates, and they've gotten very, very powerful. Uh, There are plenty of people who, in fact, Marxism is based on economic illiteracy. You cannot understand how human beings function in the context of companies, corporations, day-to-day transactions. You cannot understand complex systems and want to be a Marxist. Marxism can work within a very small, you know, my high school used to joke the Society of Jesus, the Jesuits, you know, they're kind of a Marxist organization. They all share and they don't have private property and it can work in a very small confine. You could even say that, you know, within a family or within a frat house, you could be Marxists. You can't have a Marxist society, though. You can't understand human beings and think you could have a Marxist society. But the left right now is ascendant with this. They think that this is, in fact, where it's all going. And if we don't make the case against them, they're happy to, to try this whole thing out and just see where it goes. Rashida Tlaib is openly calling for not just a $15 national minimum wage, right? This is the federal government stepping in, saying that everybody has to make $15 an hour. But it's actually going to be, uh, she's not happy with the job destruction that would result from that. She wants even more destruction of jobs. Play 17. 
Big bites like this one, $15. By the way, when we started it, it should have been $15. Now I think it should be $20. Picture America rising here. Exactly. It should be $20. Oh, it should be $20 an hour. Right? $18 to $20 an hour at this point. It's everything all the cost. And so they say all this is going to raise the cost. But I can tell you, milk has gone up. Eggs has gone up. Everything has gone up. The cost of food has gone up. The cost of a lot of things that we need has gone up already. Ah. And so here we go. 18 to 20. No, notice how she even adjusts the figure as she's going along. This is just a diktat from the commissar. Yeah, it should be. It should be 20. Yeah, maybe it should be 18. Oh, maybe 19. Well, whatever. We'll figure it out. But it's going to be a lot more money. $15 minimum wage. Producer Mike sent me this year. Destroy 1.3 million jobs. That's what they guess nationwide. 1.3 million people lose their jobs. 20 million. Uh, 20 dollar minimum wage would destroy even more jobs than that of course and you know who found out recently how economics really works bernie sanders because the bernie sanders campaign wasn't going to pay wasn't paying people 15 dollar minimum wage now they're going to pay people a 15 dollar minimum wage and they're cutting back their hours because of it exactly what people like me say happens in a minimum wage situation the market sets the price. Individuals decide on voluntary transactions. That is the only way to really set a price. The moment you have government intrusion into the market, all you do is invite more intrusion from the government to deal with the imbalances that it will create. It's a fancy way of saying the government will mess it up and then show up and say, hey, we're the cleanup crew for that whole mess. Let's do more stuff. A higher minimum wage. Not enough people with jobs, not enough people at the lower end of the economic spectrum doing well. Let's let's do another program here. And to any leftist, I would just say, why not $100? They don't have an answer to this because they don't understand the basic microeconomics behind why a minimum wage is not a good idea. And I know it's popular. I know conservatives who say, yeah, you know, but on balance, you know, tomato, tomato, make an omelet. You got to break a few eggs. You know, minimum wage is something that uh, people like and. And it is popular. It's a popular idea. But the moment that you have to put this into practice, all of a sudden people realize, oh, wait, it's not what we thought it would be. Kind of like socialism. If only we could get the Democrats to understand that, I think we'd all be in much better shape. We'll be right back. I got to say, Cory Booker is somebody that uh, I just wonder how anybody who knows anything would want to support even a democrat i i don't understand it the guy to me it, it, it all just seems so phony and so forced and he's so so desperate for votes for power for prestige and he does this whole uh, you know he tries so hard to emote tries to connect with audiences in his whole i am spartacus moment and he should be ashamed ashamed of his role in the Kavanaugh, uh, the Kavanaugh smear campaign, but he's not. In fact, I'm sure he's, he's proud of it because it helped him among the radical left Democrats. But he, here's Cory Booker, producer Mike pulled this for me, talking about how he feels, you know, we've got all these people running around saying that, uh, you know, Trump is such a such a racist and he's so terrible. He's such a bad guy. You know, you have. Uh, oh, here you go. Here, I mean, here's Ilhan Omar, for example, just to give you a sense of what she says about the president of the United States. Play 13. 
now even when we're talking about the president, people will say, you know, it, his remarks are racist and will forget the inherent racism that has always been part of him and how much he always takes an opportunity to others to vilify them. Who is she even talking about? You, you don't get any, any specifics there. To, to otherize, who, who is being otherized all the time? Illegal aliens, MS-13? Well, people that break the law, I think we're allowed to otherize. I think that otherizing in the sense that if you break the law, that should be punished and that's bad. Yeah, then that's an other. That's not based on ethnicity or skin color. It's based on the law. She, of course, does not see it that way. She sees everything that Trump does through a lens of, well, white supremacy, white nationalism. Still to this day, never met a white nationalist. Never met one. I'm not saying they don't exist at all, but they, they are far less prominent in American society than, you know, flat earthers who are also anti-vax, who are also, you know, there's just, it's a fringe of a fringe. We're always told that they're the next great threat in this country. But back to Cory Booker for a moment, if I could. But I want to play that because we're always being lectured about race and racism. In the first hour, I know we talked quite a bit about and I think this is real. On the one hand, there is this emotional, the left has this emotional need to always uh, suggest that the president is a racist, right? They need to believe that or else they'd have to look at the results of his presidency and they'd have to say to themselves, what? wait a second, it's going really well. Oh, no, it's terrible. He's, he's a racist. But the left has so many problems, so many contradictions with race, with bigotry that they never deal with. And the media gives them a pass on this because it is all about narrative. Oh, so one more thing about the about the uh, I know I'm talking about this other podcast. You know, Ravikant said at one point that the, there's no such thing really as objective journalism anymore. I'm paraphrasing here, but ever since the ever since the internet, we don't need people to tell us a huge news organization to tell us facts. So what we have are massive activism organizations that are pushing agendas that are promoting one side of the argument against the other, pretending they're just pr- presenting you with facts, which is exactly what I've been saying for years. It makes sense from a business model perspective, right? Why, why, would, why would CNN be able to make money just, just giving you the facts, man? I mean, the facts you can get online in two seconds. We don't need CNN 24 hours a day just presenting us with facts. There aren't enough interesting facts for them to give. But that's why they've become narrative purveyors instead of fact purveyors. That's also why they are so invested in the narrative of a racist right because they are activists. And this is a storyline they've been feeding to their audience. It gets eyeballs. It gets clicks. And it serves a purpose. It's exactly what these major media organizations and the Democratic Party along with them are looking to do. But they never give us answers about, well, hold on a second. What about the racism of the left, which is very real? Or the anti-Semitism of the left, which is very real? And here's Cory Booker talking about straight-up, real-deal anti-Semite Louis Farrakhan. Play seven. I want to ask about something that you were recently asked, and that is about whether or not you would meet with Nation of Islam leader Louis Farrakhan. He's unabashedly anti-Semitic. He said, quote, I don't, you said, quote, I don't feel like I need to do that, but I'm not one of those people who says that I wouldn't sit down with anybody to hear what they have to say. Is that still where you are? Well, first of all, that, that 
is completely taking out of context that larger conversation. Okay. You know, I, I have met, I live in Newark, so we have famous Mosque 25, we have Nation of Islam there. As mayor, I met with lots of folks uh, talking to them. I've heard Minister Farrakhan's speeches uh, for a lot of my life, so I don't feel like I, I need to do that, but I'm not one of these people that says I wouldn't sit down with anybody to hear what they have to say. But I live on a neighborhood where I, I, I'm getting uh, guys on the streets uh, uh, offering and selling uh, his works. I'm very familiar with, with, with Minister Louis Farrakhan and his beliefs in it. Hmm. Why not repudiate Farrakhan? Notice how he doesn't jump at the opportunity to say, well, Louis Farrakhan is an anti-Semite. Do you think that any Democrat could hear the name of, of a, a true racist like David Duke and not immediately say, oh, well, that guy's a racist, which is fine because he is, but then add to it, and he supports Donald Trump. Every chance they get, they'll say it all the time. Why doesn't the left ever have to answer for this? Well, because the people that would make them answer, or at least that would get the responses to those questions out there, are in the media, and the media is completely in the tank. I mean, the media is broken. There is no objective journalism anymore. Those people are liars. There are some objective journalists, but journalism is not an objective profession. It has become a propaganda fight. It has become a battle of ideas with partisans on all sides. And then there's just Cory Booker sounding like a clown sometimes, which you can make your own decisions about this. Play 24. Donald Trump is a guy who you understand he hurts you. And, you, and my testosterone sometimes makes me want to uh, uh, feel like punching him, and uh, which would be bad for this elderly, out of shape man that he is yeah. if I did that. <laughs> uh, um, uh, this physically, physically weak specimen. Oh, no. physically weak specimen. Yeah, Cory Booker's a punk. So there's that. He's just a, an insecure wannabe and a punk. We need a commission on child separation because what these commissions are charged with doing, just as the 9-11 commission did when they said what went wrong. in The 9-11 commission, they, had, they were charged with investigating and making sure they dug up every nook and cranny of what happened and how it happened in our system. And I think that that kind of study is what's going to be required in order to reunify as many children with their parents as possible. The only thing... We are allowed to talk about when it comes to the border, according to Democrats. The only thing is treatment of migrants who cross the border illegally in detention. And we need to just have a, an, a loop, a cycle of let's revisit this. Let's go back to this. Let's have more investigations about this. Because just like with Russia collusion, even if it goes nowhere, it's the story that the left likes to tell and it's a distraction as well as an attack. The distraction of focusing on the southern border and all oh, the migrants and the concentration camps were running and all this is a means of avoiding what the Democratic Party really stands for, at least having an open conversation about what does the Democratic Party stand for right now? Because the answer is open borders. And, and everybody that says otherwise is, is either deluding themselves or lying. Every enforcement mechanism that comes up, every time there's an effort, whether it's to clear sanctuary cities or to deport people that have had all their due process and have been put on a list, Democrats oppose it. They do not ever come up with ideas 
to better enforce immigration laws. All they do are come up with ideas to make those who break the laws less accountable and more comfortable. Literally more comfortable. So that's one component of this. And the other is just the attack. Oh, Republicans, because this is all part of the Republicans are racist. Trump is racist. Uh, Trump must be a racist because he does not want the border to be open. Obama didn't want the border to be open either. At least he said he didn't. Some of you are probably yelling, yeah, he did, Buck. But he said he didn't, and the press didn't criticize him for that. That was considered to be sane. And what is the opposite of sane? Insane. What are we doing right now in this country? What is going on with our southern border? What is happening right now? It is crazy. But I have to tell you, and I just spoke to some people very close to the president before coming on air about this. And I I, because I expressed some frustration tonight on a special report with Brett Baer. I I told I told people well, I told whoever was watching the show, you can't keep having this. Oh, we're going to deport people. We're going to deport people. And then no deportations occur. It reminds me of the line from the uh, the movie about the Wall Street collapse that I'm actually forget too big to fail. It's actually a pretty entertaining movie where I believe it's Bernanke or maybe it's it's Paulson says the thing about having a bazooka in your back pocket is you got to be able to use it. And the thing about Trump saying there's going to be mass deportations or even just a, a, a surge in deportations of those who are unquestionably legally not supposed to stay in the country anymore uh that's you know you have to do it you have to actually make it happen you cannot allow this to be a thing that keeps getting brought up oh yes we're going to deport all these people and this is where and my understanding is the white house is very frustrated they're saying why can't ice pull this off is ice immigrations and customs enforcement incapable are some officers unwilling why isn't this happening? 35 people is the number that's been published in just the last few hours. 35 people. And Trump is frustrated. I'm sure he's frustrated. How could this be? Each time he brings up deportations, we hear very serious numbers, and that would send a message. You have to have the other side of this equation in place. You absolutely must have punishment for violating the law. And what we have right now is just a complete mess where it's not clear who's fallen asleep on the job. 35 people. Come on. And this is where you have to look at the foreign countries that are involved in this process, too. The fact that Guatemala and Mexico won't give us third safe country agreements. We, we do have to cut off aid to these countries. We, you know, what we really have to do. And this will this is the equivalent of the nuclear option in, de- in diplomacy-wise, all right? Not actual nuclear option. Because Trump said some stuff. I'm going to tell you, Trump said some stuff about Afghanistan. Do we have that, uh, Mark, from... I think we had it yesterday, but I don't know if we still have it on the... Uh, Trump said some stuff about Afghanistan that I I, I... I get what he was saying. We got it? Oh, no, we'll find it. I understand what he was going for, which is that he could lay waste to the entire country in a matter of minutes if he wanted to, but... That's not the same thing as winning the Af- winning the war in Afghanistan, and that's not a serious policy option. So, I, you know, look, Trump sometimes, you know, the, the swagger gets a little bit ahead of the policy, to put it mildly. Uh, 
Oh, we do. Yeah, play it. We wanted to fight a war in Afghanistan and win it. I could win that war in a week. I just don't want to kill 10 million people. Does that make sense to you? I don't want to kill 10 million people. I have plans on Afghanistan that if I wanted to win that war, Afghanistan would be wiped off the face of the earth. It would be gone. It would be over in literally in 10 days. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to go that route. So we're working with Pakistan and others to extricate ourselves, nor do we want to be policemen, because basically we're policemen right now. And we're not supposed to be policemen. We've been there. We've been there for 19 years in Afghanistan. It's ridiculous. This is one of these moments where Trump is going to get us to the right policy, which is all I really care about, which is end this thing and get us out. But the way that he speaks about it turns into some frenzy in the media. Oh, he's saying he's going to. I'm assuming that he means nuclear strikes on Afghanistan, which no one really thinks he's going to do. And I don't think the president would ever do that unless there was some imminent threat from Afghanistan, which is not realistic. Um, but I, I do believe that he will get us to the right place in the end of policy. But I, that just reminded me. I, I was reminded of that because I said nuclear option. But the nuclear option in dealing with Guatemala and in dealing with Mexico, countries that are just intransigent on this issue of, I mean, look, Mexico is sending more troops and that that means there'll be fewer. There are fewer illegal crossings going on right now at our southern border. And they're saying, oh, look at us. We sent more troops. That's troops to their border with Guatemala. So this is all now the migrant corridor that's coming into the United States. Uh, but keep in mind that it's the summer months and people were expecting there to be some drop in detentions over the summer months. So here we are. Um, is it because of Mexican effort or is Mexican government effort or is it because there are just fewer people right now trying to cross because you can die of heat exhaustion very easily in these desert areas and especially if you get in vehicles and there's there's been some recent uh, captures of smuggling efforts involving you know, tractor trailers and vans and people stuck in the in vans in the tremendous heat. So that that may be all a part of this, too. But these need to be safe third countries. We need agreements with Mexico and Guatemala that anyone who's trying to well, with Guatemala, they'd have to stop in Mexico. But in Mexico, anyone who is from Guatemala or Honduras or El Salvador, they need to stop and ask for asylum in Mexico first. The nuclear option, if we really want to exercise it, is going to be uh, remittances, remittance based. That is where the administration could really get everyone's attention very quickly Guatemala received almost uh, $10 billion, $9.3 billion last year in hard currency sent back to it from migrants abroad, 12% of its GDP. And the United States is Guatemala's top trading partner. So these countries need to get it together. Right? We, we, are, we are asking them for something that is entirely reasonable. We are willing to help them in that effort. But Guatemala and Mexico right now not, don't look like they're really on the team. Not as much as they need to be, that's for sure. El Salvador, as I told you yesterday, based on what the president's saying, does sound like it wants to be on the team. But El Salvador is very, very poor, and who knows how much they're able to do without more substantial U.S. assistance. But, you know, you, you got to start the deportations because that sends the message, if you show up, you're not going to get to stay. Right now, the people who are crossing illegally are responding to very straightforward incentives. The incentives right now are, if you get here, you're good to go. That has to change. That's why Democrats try to fight it at every turn. They don't want there to be more enforcement of the law. 
They want the storyline that's passed along the migrant corridor to be that if you get to America, you're good to go. There must be there must be consequences for the actions of people that violate immigration law or else we're just open borders, which we know is what Democrats want. But we can't give up this fight because, unfortunately, immigration becomes the issue that determines all other issues. This is the way the Democrats win in the end, even though they're losing the American people. They just replace the American people. That's the plan. We'll be right back. When it comes to the counterintelligence investigation of the Trump campaign, is anybody providing kind of a deep dive to look at what happened there? Is that part of Mr. Horowitz's charter? Well, I I think I would let uh, Inspector General Horowitz speak for himself about the scope of his investigation. But as as you know, uh, the Attorney General uh, has has doing a review uh, or has has commissioned some people to do a review. And I think that's part of his job. It's part of mine to get some of those questions answered. So Christopher Wray, FBI director, testified today in front of uh, a lot of a lot of folks on Capitol Hill. And there was. Definitely, I think, a a sense that uh, there's going to be some disappointment tomorrow on both sides. I mean, Ray, Ray didn't want to get ahead of where things are. Tomorrow's Mueller Day. Everyone's all, oh, it's Mueller Day. Oh, it's Mueller Day. Yay, Mueller Day. Yay. Um, and here's what I have to say about that. Uh, there's very low likelihood that you're going to have any kind of revelation, that there's going to be anything that anyone finds out of particular uh, interest based on the fact that Mueller's testimony has already been bound officially within the framework of the report itself within what the report says so just like remember when james comey testified and said oh comey we're gonna hear all this stuff and then comey just said i do not recall i i am james comey and i just love the sound of my own uh, my own voice and my self-righteousness could choke a hippopotamus uh but he just said he didn't remember anytime things got a little bit tough he didn't remember pretty easy Right now, Rudy Giuliani, for example, understands what's going on here with what was going on with Comey all along. I just want to get this in because Rudy's got he's had Comey's number for quite some time. Rudy actually told me that he knew that Comey was bad news all the way back to when Comey was the one pushing novel and discredited legal theories to try and really prosecute uh, viciously Martha Stewart. Here's what here's what Giuliani had to say about the. The Sanctacomi, play 20. There's no way that Comey can explain how he signed an affidavit in which he got somebody surveilled, and the affidavit basically says that the Steele dossier has been verified. And then four months later, he went to the president and said it's unverified. And no one's asked Comey, how come you didn't try to verify? Isn't that your job as the head of the FBI? You got a do- document. It makes all these allegations about a presidential candidate and the president-elect. And after four months of having that document, you walk into the president-elect or president and say it's unverified. Isn't it your job to verify? It? Well, wasn't Comey just trying to put the squeeze on the president? Absolutely, it was a complete shakedown. That was a shakedown. That was you better keep me in office because mm, I got this dirty information on you. And he doesn't realize you can't do that with Donald Trump. I mean, you can't do it. Comey read a little too much. J. Edgar Hoover fan fiction, I guess, or maybe just history. Uh, but he thought that he could pull that off on the president, and he couldn't. 
didn't find out, didn't want to know what was true about the keystone document for this entire Russia collusion farce. Never wanted to get that. This is what the the IG report. Look, the reason that tomorrow is not going to be as interesting, and I, I hate to be the guy that says that. I should be sitting here saying, uh-oh, the Democrats are running for cover, folks. Oh, no, things are... I just, I can't tell you things I don't think are true. There'll be, there'll be both sides claiming victory. There'll be a lot of, oh, my gosh, you know, the Democrats will say, see, he would have charged him if he could have charged him, but he didn't charge him because he couldn't charge him. Um, that's what they're going to say, meaning that the only reason that there weren't criminal charges uh, was because he's president. And that's now that that's the, the story. That's the little safety blankie that keeps the Democrats feeling like they're all safe and warm at night. But here we are now wondering what's going to come out of this whole fiasco tomorrow. Oh, Rudy also mentioned the IG report and gave his thoughts on it today. And I'd say I I appreciated Rudy not pulling punches. He does not mess around. 21. I know that the Steele dossier is a complete fraud. Uh, The whole investigation of Manafort is premised on a false piece of evidence. The real collusion here, the real conspiracy here with foreign people is Hillary Clinton. First of all, she paid for the Steele dossier. The Steele dossier is based on its face on Russian information. That's paying for foreign information. Turns out it's Ukrainian, same difference. Uh, There's a guy in the Ukraine that a Ukrainian court found guilty in December of giving dirty information and getting and getting what looks like paid by a Russian for it for the Hillary Clinton campaign. I think all of this is going to come out. I hope he's right about the IG report. But again, I have to tell you what we know from what's happened in the past and in the previous iteration of the IG report about the Hillary emails. And the politicization was there was there political bias in that investigation. The entire report was an ode to a, a symphony of political bias. All laid out for you. And then in the key findings, the executive summary, the, the final decision was, oh, no, there's no bias in the whole Hillary Clinton email investigation. Of course, there was bias. But they couldn't write that because if they had written that, then there would have to be consequences. So what they do is provide you with the information and then beyond that make sure that there's no determination based on the information that would force a real accounting a real accountability at the fbi at the department of justice for what happened Um, because these institutions you have to remember they want to defend themselves more than anything else they do not want to be in a position where the entirety of the institution no longer has the confidence of the American people. I think we're already there with political investigations involving the Department of Justice and career officials that served for a long time in the Department of Justice, like James Comey, like Robert Mueller, like Rosenstein. Good on the list. Never mind that clown show of Strzok and Page and others, McCabe at the FBI. So how do I know that it's going to be a partisan mess tomorrow, the Mueller day? It's Mueller time. I do miss beer commercials from the 80s and the 90s. It's a, it's a more fun, more carefree time when you could just have a bunch of dudes at a pool party or on a beach who were average and very paunchy 
open a can of very watery tasting domestic brew of some kind and all of a sudden the Swedish bikini team would appear and start dancing around them and you'd hear cool music from your youth. Yeah, we don't really do that so much anymore. Not not the the, the patriarchy when it comes to beer commercials is no longer alive and well. But how do I know that tomorrow there'll be a lot of I don't even know how I got talking about that, but there'll be oh yeah, Muller time, Miller time, that's how. Here's a perfect example of why it's going to be a mess. Perfect example. Jerry Nadler. Now, I don't know why anyone listens to this guy, but anyway, Jerry Nadler decided that he was going to try and attack the administration for, or the Department of Justice, I should say, for putting a letter out, which, you can, which I read and you can see it's public, a letter that says what the parameters of Mueller's testimony should be. Jerry Nadler thought that he had stumbled upon a fantastic issue here with which he could attack the, the Republicans. Please play 19. You don't think they have any authority to instruct him in that way? Must he comply with that letter? No, he must. No, he does not have to comply with that letter. He doesn't work for them. Um, and that letter uh, asks things that are that are beyond the the power of the of the agency to ask, even if he still worked for them. Ooh, I guess he's got them, huh? I guess he's really cornered the Republicans here. They're they're trying. The fix is in. They're saying they're going to stop Mueller from telling the truth about a massive conspiracy with Russia to throw the election that didn't happen. It didn't happen. Take a deep breath, Libs. It did not occur. Come into the real world. Stop living in fantasy land. They, they, they won't do it. They just they cannot help themselves. They are so stuck on this, uh, this fiction. Nonetheless, Nadler says that the DOJ cannot give. This is a, per, this is a perfect example of what we're going to see tomorrow. He's going around giving interviews with CNN, Allison Camerata. And he's saying things about how the Republicans are, well, of course, bar Republican appointee in the DOJ. They're trying to stop the truth from getting out. Here's the problem with that. It's a total lie. And Nadler's an idiot. Play 18. Here's the attorney general himself. At his press conference, uh, Bob had said that he intended to stick with the public report and not go beyond that. And in conversations with the department, uh, his staff was reiterating that that was their position. And they asked us for guidance in writing uh, to, uh, to explain uh, or to tell them what our position was. So we responded in writing. The department sent the guidance they had requested. So Mueller actually requested? Yes. This is what we're up against, folks. Democrats are saying, oh, my gosh, do you realize what they've done here? They're giving Mueller guidance about what he can say. It's a terrible thing they're doing. It's horrible. Except Mueller asked for the guidance. They wanted it in writing so they could refer to it so everyone's on the same page. This is just establishing the rules of the road. You're not a bad guy when someone says, hey, what are the rules of this game? And you say, here are the rules of the game. You can't then say, do you see what they're doing? Forcing rules upon this brave patriot Bob Mueller's going to take down Trump. It's not going to happen. But tomorrow you'll see, uh, I mean, first of all, I know all of you are not going to start watching this at 9 o'clock in the morning. There are bars here in D.C. that are opening up early, and uh, there have been advertisements I've seen where they're 
planning to serve their full menu. Planning to serve their full menu because this is a swamp town and everyone wants to see what the swamp rats will be up to up on Capitol Hill. So that's it's quite a spectator sport. You just have all these members of Congress who are so unimpressive and so annoying on the Democrat side. Some of the Republicans aren't as great as they should be, but I got to tell you, I rarely see a Republican member of Congress and think I wouldn't leave that person in charge of a lemonade stand. And I see plenty of Democrats where I'm like, they would just they would run that lemonade stand in the ground. No idea what they're doing. No ability whatsoever to um, make good decisions and understand what's really going on. So, yes, indeed, uh, that is the reality that I see happening here. Uh, tomorrow, oh, Trump. We gotta hear from the we gotta hear from the Trumpster himself about what he expects for Mueller time. Twelve. Of it, I'm not going to be wa- watching Mueller uh, because uh, you can't take all those bites out of the apple. We had uh, no collusion, no obstruction. We had no nothing. The Democrats were devastated by it. They went crazy. They've gone off the deep end. They're not doing anything. All they care about is a phony investigation where the report was written. It said no collusion. There's no nothing. They're wasting their time. No collusion. Of course, Democrats are all going to come out of tomorrow's investigation. Say, I'm sorry, tomorrow's testimony, rather, saying that the investigation proved that Trump broke the law, even though he was not charged with anything you are now you are now innocent and in, rather guilty until proven innocent under democrat rules this is what we're all going to see this is what the expectation shall be I, I do not think that we'll find out anything all that interesting tomorrow i don't know remember Mueller testified or i should say spoke publicly at a press conference and was not compelling and seemed very uh, look i'll be honest he seemed a little too old to be doing this was just didn't wasn't effective at all. Uh, then you have the reality of what happened with Comey, where he just didn't answer anything, and that may be the case as well. So you know, I'll do enough of the pregame. I've, I've had enough pregaming of of Mueller time for one day. We'll cover it tomorrow on the show. What he says, what he doesn't say. There's going to be a lot of whatever's in the report is my answer. My answer is the report. I'm telling you, it's probably going to be yes. The phrase that everyone hates because it's a cliche now. It will be a nothing burger. Avec fromage. We shall see, though. Uh, I'll be watching. Yay, what an exciting day I have planned. We'll be right back. I don't know how to tell you about this story other than to tell you. So we're just going to have to dive into this one together. And yeah, let me just say that I I know that sometimes. uh, Sometimes there are young ones listening to the show. I, I would give you a. A fair warning here that while I, I the language I use will always be clean and broadcast worthy, the subject matter here is about to get pretty gross. But I don't know how to get around it. And it's a real issue. It's a newsworthy issue. It's something you should know about. As bizarre and appalling as the whole thing is. Has to do with the latest extreme iteration of transgender activism. You might be saying, Buck, what, is, what do you mean transgender activism? What, what's going on here? Isn't transgenderism just about love wins or loving people or you know, letting people be, you know, do, do what they want to do? I, I, I saw recently a, a whole piece 
where they kept referring to a biological male as a female, and there was another male and a female, and I was trying to keep straight who was... It was a whole entrapment thing and a paternity case with false... All, and I just couldn't... I'm pretty good at reading. I couldn't keep straight. Well, he, the she, the who, the where, the... There are reasons why we have pronouns. I know the left pretends like this isn't... There are reasons for pronouns. It is useful. It's helpful. He versus she. These are real things. These are real distinctions that we should be aware of. Uh, but here we go. This is the story, folks. Uh, a Canadian man is suing uh, 13 different estheticians. This is a real thing. A Canadian man, in a, I'm sorry, a transgender woman uh, has has decided to sue 13 estheticians. By the way, you notice that I don't even know how I could talk about this on Twitter. I'm not sure I would get banned. Basically, this transgender individual is saying if you don't, if women will not wax his male parts, which are still male, he is, they're violating his human rights, and this is discrimination. That's right, folks. A guy can go into a women's beauty salon now and claim that the unwillingness of female estheticians, employees of this establishment, who will not handle and wax, I don't even really know how to describe this, that area of this man, up close and personal, are bigots. And you might say, Buck, this is such a crazy story. No one takes it seriously. Canadian law does. Canadian Human Rights Council is taking it very seriously. This guy's filed... 15, I'm sorry, 16 complaints about against estheticians in the last year, claiming that being denied, quote, services on account of her gender identity was discriminatory. That's right. If you're a female, it, imagine this for a second. Imagine to the men listening to this, your, your wife works at a, at a beauty salon and a, uh, a, a rather portly, clearly male individual comes in and says, all right, ladies, I'm stripping down on this table and you're going to give me the full, you know, Brazilian wax treatment. I think it would be OK if as a husband, if your wife was being told that you would be really, really upset. <laughs> I know I would. I don't have a wife, but I can imagine. But people in this country who are transgender activists are. They're not outraged by this. They're like, yeah, that's this is a, see, this is where the real the rubber meets the road, so to speak. This is where the reality versus the unreality becomes a thing. And it's all around them trying to use the left, trying to to use pressure and politics to get us to admit things that are just false. Male body parts are different than female body parts. We can sit around all day and talk about how that's mean, and some people feel sad about this, but male body parts are different than female body parts. This is a, this is a real thing that we're all very aware of. This is about as basic as knowledge gets, too, isn't it? Who's a boy? Who's a girl? This is one of those things that you start to learn when you're a toddler. Who's a boy? Who's a girl? How do boys act? How do girls act? We all know this is real. 
This is the world we live in. They reject this. They reject this to the point where you are supposed to be handling male anatomy as a female esthetician and pretend that it is female anatomy or else you are legally liable. He's going to run these women out of business. He's going to destroy their businesses. This isn't just some uh, exercise in, th you know, in theory. We're not sitting in some classroom saying maybe this could happen. This guy's actually, he's an activist, and he's going around suing people. Because he says he's a woman. He goes around, you know, there, there's this, this photo of him. I mean, this guy is, and there's all this other stuff, too, about it. It says horrible things. Clear person is clearly deranged person's clearly suffering from mental illness do we get to say that do we ever get to discuss a link between transgenderism and mental illness do we ever get to say that transgenderism is in fact a form of mental illness is this we've now we've now dispensed with that very interesting you know biology is the science that is the most under assault by the social justice left and, and they're really trying to destroy it as a discipline they have so politicized it that you can no longer expect even a biologist to say things that are obviously true that you learn in freshman year high school, that you learn in the first grade, actually. Boys have one thing, girls have another. You learn this at a really early age. You understand why there's the separation between boys and girls, why there's you know different bathrooms, all this stuff. They're, they're trying to erase this. And you could say, Buck, this is just one case, it's one story, but it just shows how insane the left really is. And Canada is, they're, they're right alongside us with, with all this stuff. I mean, Canada is like the 51st state. Let's not pretend. I'm, I'm not telling you about some story in a, in a village in Pakistan somewhere that is a distant culture that we have nothing in common with. These are the Canadians. And you have American transgender activists who are going along with this. I've been saying it all along. They will try. You've seen it a little bit. But there will be an effort on the left to suggest that or, or to to demand that that straight males must be willing to consider transgender females, men who claim to be women through transgenderism. As a heterosexual male, if you do not find a transgender female, meaning a male who has male parts but says is female attractive. That's not a preference thing. That's a bigot thing. You are bigoted. You're a bad person. That's where I, it's already heading there. I've seen some articles. I've mentioned this before. It's, but this is the real, they want everyone. This is Soviet level rejection of objective reality. That's where we're heading. You must, you must agree to something you know is false or else. You must live your life affirming something is true that you know is untrue or else. I mean, transgenderism has just turned into a form of, of bullying the rest of us into saying things are true that are not true. And I, and I, I'm feeling I'm losing some level of, of freedom to discuss these things. I could get kicked off of Twitter. I could get kicked off of Facebook. Who knows what corporate sanctions could await me for saying things like, Boys have one kind of equipment. Girls have another. These are not the same things. You know? Wasn't there like a uh, Sesame Street thing? Which of these things is not like the other? Boys and girls. One of these things is not like the other. They are, in fact, different. So 
I know that this is it's just one store. It's up in Canada. But these women are going to lose their livelihood. They're all going to they're all going to get sued. And Canada's going to uphold these laws, uphold the judgments, rather. So you're going to have a bunch of women who are bankrupted because this one guy who also here. um, This was another story that gives you a sense of who we're dealing with here. Yaniv, Jessica Yaniv is this transgender individual. According to National Review here is, quote, seeking permission from a Canadian local council to hold three topless swims for people aged 12 and up, and parents would be barred from attending. This swim would be for children who identify as LGBTQ2S+, and would include topless 12 and up girls. Openly, this activist is pushing for this. Wants young teen girls to be going around topless at a, at a pool party where parents aren't allowed to attend. And, and this is who the Canadian court so far, or the Canadian law at least, is siding with. The Canadian Human Rights Commission is saying, yeah, this is somebody that we're going to stand up for. It's British Columbia's Human Rights Tribunal is making decisions on this. I mean, they're taking this seriously. They're really looking at this. Instead of laughing this individual out of the building, Jonathan, now Jessica Yaniv. You know, when is it when is it too much? When do the libs realize that their that their side has just completely gone crazy? I, I wonder what that is. There anything now? Is there anything for the world's going to end in twelve years? Open borders is no problem. Men and women aren't different. Uh, you know, killing a baby that's nine months old in the womb is not a, is not an immoral act. Uh, I, I just is there anything that's too crazy for them anymore? I don't know. What are the outer limits of the crazy? We'll be right back. Who remembers Al Franken? Remember that guy? Uh, a painfully unfunny comedian, which if you're a leftist, you can get away with that. You just have to make jokes that attack the right the right people, meaning people on the right, usually white Christian males, Republicans, conservatives. You don't have to be funny. You just have to carry water for your side, and then they'll make sure that you get jobs and all kinds of stuff. Okay. So Al Franken was, at one point, a U.S. senator, won that race in Minnesota. You will also recall that he won by a few hundred votes and if you look back at the story of how he beat i think it was norm coleman was the was the other was the republican it was super shady and anyone who says a little bit of voter fraud is no big deal doesn't know what the margin was in that minnesota senate race because it was hundreds i think even 200 at one point or so votes that's like a local high school gymnasium of people standing in line voting that that was the difference in who got to be a u.s senator so that's one point. But Franken fell from grace very rapidly. And it was because of Me Too. It was because he had, or rather videos of him, had emerged. I'm sorry, photos of him had emerged where he was uh, grabbing a woman who was asleep on the chest. Now, I believe she had body armor on, but he was mimicking, groping her. And it was a weird creepster thing to do. And then Leanne Tweeden came out and said that he had forced a kiss on her, I think, during a USO tour. And then seven other women came forward and said he's a very sexually aggressive uh, kind of pervy guy. And you know, seven of them. All right. And Kristen Gillibrand, who had been a friend of and she, by the way, she is just she is cold as ice, man. I mean, she'll say anything. She'll tell you whatever you want to hear. Switches her positions like it's nothing. I mean, it's just a, a, a really 
a shockingly brazen grasper and, and grifter, you know, whatever she has to say in the moment for, for the benefit of Kristen. Look, she's a classic politician, I suppose you could say. But she said Franken has to resign. And so Franken did step down from his Senate seat. And this was because the Democrats knew at that point in time that their ability to weaponize against Republicans, any uh, mutual allegation was really going to be hampered by, okay, this guy has seven women come forward and he gets to stay in his job. So for the benefit of the weaponization of Me Too from the left, Franken got fed to the lions. And guess what? Now Jane Mayer has come forward, who's a left-wing hack writer, and she's written some puff piece in The New Yorker uh, looking at the accusations against the senator. It turns out she claims now that essentially, I'm trying to make sure I get the exact verbiage here, uh, but it's that nothing that these women said uh, has been corroborated at all. That there was no evidence that anything that what they said is true. And now, that's not true because there's a photo, right? But all the other women who claim that he grabbed them or groped them, that there was no evidence and that it didn't check out. And Jane Mayer is now trying to launch an effort to rehabilitate Franken's image because maybe they want to bring him back. At one point, Franken was thought of as a possible challenger for Trump. At one point, Franken was a guy that people were thinking as a comedian, he could mock Trump and he'd be, he'd be able to go on stage and deal with him. And, and they, he got me too. And now he's saying in this, in this piece and elsewhere that he regrets, uh, that he regrets stepping down, which he forgot the rule. There are rules folks. And the rule is when you're dealing with the leftist mob, you never apologize. You only apologize. If you as a human being feel you've done wrong And for your own conscience and your own honor, you must apologize. You do not apologize because they demand it, because then they just use your apology as a confession for further punishment and destruction of your life. This is now, you know, they've they've gone beyond what it used to be. They wanted to humiliate you publicly, but you'd keep your job. You know, conservatives would have to get, you know, this ritual humiliation, but you weren't it wasn't the end of your career necessarily. That's all changed. Now it's, oh, no, they, they want you fired. They want you finished. Just like the, the uh, young woman when I was at the Hill who wanted me fired for saying that uh, Ilhan Omar is an attractive woman. I was to be fired for that. That was the, that was the demand. For, for tweeting that, I was supposed to be fired. <laughs> didn't bother anybody, didn't do anything, but I should lose my job. Because the left, especially left-wing feminists, the left-wing feminists are among the very worst. I mean, they're completely out of their minds. And they're vicious and they're bitter. Uh, But here, I think Franken, you know, seven women came forward. I think he is a creep. Like, I think he's obviously he's doing gross stuff. There's photos of him. But what's amazing to me, or I should say just astonished. It's not amazing. I mean, it it, it makes sense, really, right? But you just you want to just say, what the heck? Mayer is the woman that published the article about the during the Kavanaugh confirmation hearings. Mayer went forward with the second accuser who took a week of meeting with lawyers and therapists to try to remember if, in fact, what she thought she remembered was what she remembered. And then they went forward with this. Even though one of the witnesses that that accuser cited was like, that never happened. That's not a thing that happened. So Mayer published unfounded accusations 
against without any any journalistic due diligence. And by the way, Ronan Farrow also got Mr. Oh, Mr. Me Too guy. Yeah. Left wing partisan activist hack. He also put his name on that, which was a disgrace. But I mean, I never expected that guy was particularly honorable. He's just all for himself. But now, you know, she wants to rehabilitate Franken and say, well, the witness is against him. We can't corroborate any of their information. You don't say. Now, all of a sudden, we want evidence. Now, you know, we're going to go back to a a theory because it's good for Franken, who I I think Democrats really do want him back in public life. They they really like he's an absolutely he's a vicious left wing partisan, nasty, uh, really goes after people. And says exactly what the left wingers in Hollywood and New York and, you know, that, you know, he, he knows exactly what they want to hear. And he does. He delivers it every time. I think they want to bring him back, just like they tried to bring back Spitzer. You know, they, they try to bring back these left wing attack dogs, these Democrats and give them. A, so Spitzer got a TV show at CNN. I and mean, what an embarrassment. First of all, the show stunk. It was horrible. It's unwatchable because that guy's unwatchable. But his buddy Jeff Zucker knew that, you know, Spitzer was a good soldier for the left wing cause. He took himself down. He was guilty. Franken, also a little little soldier for progressivism. Did anyone think that he wasn't guilty? What, seven women? were They were all making it up? All seven of them? I thought women had a right to be believed. Can I just know what the journalistic standards are here for publishing these accusations? Oh, I think I know what they are. If you're a Republican, you are guilty the moment anyone says anything. Even if it's crazy, the evidence is against it, and there's no evidence to support it. But if you are a... Democrat, then all of a sudden the rules of evidence and cross-examination and all the rest of it apply. Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad we've established that this is just all a big hypocritical exercise in power. That's what Me Too has become. Thanks, Jane Mayer and The New Yorker and Al Franken. We'll be right back. Rock and roll, fellow patriots. We made ours go up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. Indeed it is. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. This is where all the Roll Call magic happens. You know that, team. Or if you don't know that, now you do. And you can send me all of your thoughts and stuff. Uh, By the way, I will be doing a live event for Republican youth. So I'm not sure there's an age limit, but it is young Republicans. Uh, That will be in early September. But just for those of you who are in the New York area, uh, if you want to go to the Young Republicans of New York event, I will be posting all of that on uh, on Facebook and Twitter and all of that as we get a little bit closer to it. Uh, also, I have another announcement for next week, something I'll be doing that I think you'll be excited to see. Uh, but I don't want to say until the week of because you can always have these things change or get canceled. But the buck is going into the lion's den, my friends. At least that's the plan right now. And all of you will be able to watch it from the comfort of your own homes. It is going to be Shields High for real. Ted writes, hey, Buck, listening to your podcast on Latin America from where? Irapuato, Mexico. Never even heard of it. These people are very friendly and helpful. To be honest, the people here seem very happy, although they don't make a lot of money. Shaking hands and hugs in the morning is a daily routine, unlike American routines of barely saying hello and generally unhappy people. Great show. Shields high. Ted. 
Uh, well, Ted, I hope you're enjoying Irapuato. That sounds like a fun... It, is, it reminds me, whenever I say that, of the place from the end of... Uh, in the end of Shawshank Redemption. I think it's Siwatanejo is where he's... Mark, you know what I'm talking about? Where he goes to the beach at the end of Shawshank. Oh, I know. It's a spoiler. The movie's like 20 years old. I do not know what you're talking about. You don't know what I'm talking... Mark... You know, you're busy. I don't like horror movies. You're busy wedding planning. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Uh, horror movies. What's the best? You know, I, I haven't actually seen any good horror movies in a long time. What's the best horror movie to come out in the last year, Mark? Putting you on the spot. Well, I just told you I don't like horror movies, so why would I know that? Oh, I thought you said I like horror no, movies. No, I don't like horror movies. Oh, all right. Well, then you wouldn't know that. Yeah. But Shawshank Redemption isn't a horror movie, dude. So it's what not? are you talking about? Hmm. No. I always thought it was. Oh, my gosh. It's about a guy who goes to prison. I mean, it's not a happy thing, but... All right, back to back to roll call. Producer Mark saying all kinds of stuff today. Uh, Julie writes, Hey, Buck, excellent interview with Secretary Mike Pompeo. Very glad to have him in Trump's cabinet. A while back, I read that people born between 1976 and 1984 were not quite Gen X and not quite millennials, but are Xennials. We've had an analog childhood and had a digital childhood or a digital adulthood, rather. While Xennial is dumb, and I suggest we are the mixer generation, this makes it easier to distance ourselves from the AOC millennials and whatever weirdo Twin Peaks stuff the Gen X crowd pines for. Thank you for the great analysis, Julie. Julie, I've seen it both ways. I'm not sure there's really even a technical definition of millennial, although I have been told that if you're born after 1980, you are considered a millennial. This is why I am, in fact, a true gray. I'm a gray beard millennial in all senses, because I do have some gray in the beard. Should I clip the gray out of the beard or should I leave it in there? You know, do you do you do a bit of of manscaping of the beard to get the gray hairs out on the face or uh, or what? I don't know. Inquiring minds. Actually, no one cares. We'll see what happens in my poll between whether bacon or eggs is the one thing you'd want. If you could only have one for the rest of your life, I will tell you, as of today, it's running for seven days. We've had thousands of votes. So far, Bacon is winning 60-40. Patrick writes, I'm doing a uh, hopper jump off the Trump train. Still listen to your show, but the defense of the go back where you came from is is irreprehensible. I think you just mean reprehensible. As a centrist and a libertarian, I can no longer back this president because of more religious values. I'm Catholic, too. I can no longer support the crazies on the right. I can't support the crazies on the left. Well, Patrick, look, I understand some of your frustration. Uh, I, I think that Trump misspoke, and it's just a question of whether you, although the sentiments were clearly meant, uh, we know what he meant by, or rather, we know that he doesn't like the, the women and the, uh, what they represent ideologically. But go back to where you came from. He, he just was being Trump. It really wasn't. I really do not believe that he meant it as a, uh, as a racial insult, I think he meant it as a these these individuals, these women in Congress do not love our country and tear it down. So maybe they shouldn't be here and it wouldn't matter where they were born or what their skin color was. That's just how he feels about it. I, I assure you, if they were a number of Italian lawmakers whose parents had you know immigrated here from Italy and they were saying terrible things about America and how we have concentration camps, Trump would have said, you know, go back where you came from just the same. But I can understand your frustration. I appreciate you writing in. And thanks. At least my show is smart enough that even people who don't support Trump will listen to it. I always take that as a special, a special compliment. Uh, there, there, are, there are libs who listen to this show. There are a lot of centrists who listen to this show. I think it's because they realize that I spend all day 
learning about all the things so that I can come here on radio and talk about as much stuff as I can and give you real information, not just the insights of analysis, but help everyone learn stuff. The stuff that I'm learning, I want to be able to share with all of you. It's like a most this is like the most fun class ever, as far as I'm concerned. Hopefully you feel the same way. Adam writes, Buck, when are you going to hire an intern to whisper in your ear? You're only a man while everyone compliments you on roll call. Shields high. Well, Adam, trust me, my friend. I work in media. I do not need anyone whispering in my ear that I am mortal because I am constantly reminded of my mortality by various media executives and other media personalities even. So trust me, uh, the you do not have to worry about a lack of humility with the Buckster, even if he refers to himself in the third person. He does that in a self-effacing way. Uh, let's see. Nadine, right? Buck, audio on the podcast, I listen on iHeart, is still an issue. Bumper music, etc. playing for guests, comes at a higher volume when you're speaking. Is there a way to turn your mic up? I have the volume turned all the way up, shields high. Guys, I don't, I don't know what's going on here. I, I'm look. I'm moving to New York in a few weeks. We'll be in a brand new studio. We'll have a. We'll all be together in the brand new Freedom Hut in New York City. So you know, hopefully, that will uh, that will allow us to fix this problem, whatever it may be. Um, Moses writes, Buck. I'm a former Marine and former employee of DHS. I wanted to share details from discussions I've had with one of the vice presidents of the National Border Patrol Council. My concern is for the men and women on that border. My hope is that a voice like yours can help with getting those agents the resources and the platform they need to push back against the narrative the Democrats, the media are pushing every day. I want to share these ideas and plans I've had with Chris Cabrera of Border Patrol. Would love to hear your thoughts and also if you can help. Well, Moses, my friend, send me whatever you got. All right. Send me uh, here. You know how to find me. What you want me to pass along and I will... I will see what I can do. All right, team, that's going to be it for the show today. Always an honor, a privilege, and a pleasure to get the chance to chat with you, get a chance to hang out with all of you, which is really what it feels like. Yeah, I am getting my last weeks here in, in D.C. I'm going to be a, a, uh, an emigre from the swamp. I'm going to be saying adios to the swamp very soon and back to the Big Apple. Hopefully there's a lot of you that listen to the show who are in the Big Apple area because we will be trying to do some Live events and other fun things there. But until tomorrow, my friends, Muller Day, which I will tell you right now is not going to be nearly as exciting. The media has to pretend like it's going to be exciting, but it's, I think it's going to be a dud, a dud and then some. That is my honest assessment of where we're going on Muller Day. But until then, my friends, please do send me your thoughts and uh, share via Facebook, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. That's the best way to reach me right now. We are getting an email address set up. It'll only take us like 10 years to do that. We will talk to you tomorrow here on the show. Shields high.